The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories for many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome to Master Your Life, the show of insight, intelligence, and inspiration, where we ask you to focus each week on uh, where it is you are right now in your life and where is it you would actually really love to be. Um, just starting out the week, I wanted to share with you, Howard, <laughs> that uh, last night I was out at an advocacy meeting for Huntington's, and uh, Huntington's Life Mastery is our new project as of 2017, and we've been working in the Huntington's community for a very long period of time. Um, but just we really recognize that there's this misalignment between, you know, research and the actual experience of people as they're entering into the disease and trying to navigate their way through it. So at this meeting last night, I was very uh, just happy that people were sharing all their fears, frustrations and challenges and that we actually have something uh, that's coming online for people to get help in the areas of their life that they need help. But still recognizing that there are real challenges and people need to learn how to um, advocate for themselves. Uh, you know, it's a huge issue. There's there's a big difference between being knowledgeable as an expert about a condition and having the condition. It's, it's huge. And that's where the advocacy comes in. And we're thrilled today to have a great advocate. Uh, Joni Ulrich is an advocate in many fields, but specifically with cancer. Joni, welcome to our show. Oh, thank you, Howard. So nice to be here, and thanks for you both for inviting me. So, Joni, you're you're not just an advocate. You're like a Pulitzer Prize-nominated advocate and, and have seven books. Um, you're an author, a speaker, a radio host, and, and you've just done so much in this field. How did What happened in your life that got you? Um, where, where, where did the journey start for you? Well, it's hard to believe, but uh, it's greater than a decade ago. Uh, my husband, Gordon, who was 43 years old at the time, was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And all we knew at the time is that things didn't go very well in his treatment. Uh, we were very naive, which everybody is when they're going into the cancer arena for the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. Cancer is a very complicated disease. Um, certainly not as rare as Huntington, for example, but 
it's amazing. You know, there's so much that they know in research, but there's so much that they don't know as well. And we went into it thinking that uh, what was going to happen, we were at one of the top hospitals in the country. Uh, we had no idea that my husband's particular type of cancer was rare, but where he had it, which was in his central nervous system, was even rarer. And so we set about the journey. We, we started, we, we thought we were being great patient advocates. We started learning about, it was multiple myeloma, which is a blood-borne cancer that eats your, eats your bones from the inside out. It's, it's a very aggressive, in his particular case, very aggressive. So um, the very first appointment with this oncologist, uh, we asked about the um, Multiple Myeloma Institute in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we said, well, should we consider going there? And the the doctor, his oncologist, uh, blatantly looked at us and said, I've never seen anything good come out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, no. And we were just aghast. You know, we didn't want to make mistakes. Gordon was 43 years old, uh, young, strong. To look at him, you would never have known that he, he was sick. He'd never been sick a day before in his life. And so we followed the path. They told us they were doing the standard treatment. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, there is no standard treatment for, for mm-hmm. cancer, truthfully. Um and uh, they went about and did five months of treatment, and after five months of treatment, his cancer was three times worse than when he was actually first diagnosed. It was running rampant in his body, and um, I got a call from his oncologist right before Thanksgiving, uh, the year after he was diagnosed, and it, it worked. My husband wasn't even there, and he said, I just don't know what to do with Gordon's cancer. It's not acting like it ought to. And I was shocked and, of course, fell to pieces, and I said, well, should I go ahead and get him scheduled in Little Rock, Arkansas at the Myeloma Institute? And he said, well, you might ought to, while he can still travel. So, uh, obviously, things did not go well, and and when we got him out to Little Rock, he was put into the hospital immediately. Uh, He had over 200 tumors growing in his bones and growing out of his skin. So, he was in a very, very bad way. And even though he lived another year and a half until the cancer metastasized to his brain, uh, it was a very painful and difficult lesson. And finally, uh, we could just never get ahead of the cancer. He was in remission for three months and uh, finally passed away in 2006. And uh, so, as I said, it was a very painful uh, journey, very painful lesson that many cancer patients go on. And um, I went about replacing my life and uh, without Gordon, which I absolutely hated, but it was something that <laughs> had to happen. And But I, I just couldn't get away from this thing inside of me that was saying, you need to tell people what happened. You need to do something with this, just like you, Leah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you need to share what happened because something happened that was wrong. And so the first book came out, The Saving of Gordon Lifelines to Win Against Cancer. It was what I wanted to know on the day that Gordon was diagnosed. Yeah. Were you, in retrospect, were you shocked about, I don't want to say how little the doctors knew, but how much they didn't know when you were going through it? 
Well, what was shocking to me, uh, Howard, was I was actually doing research. And I would come in, uh, the doctor, for example, said, uh, from the first meeting, said, we should put Gordon on bone strengthers, but he never did. So I would go in and say, well, what about those bone strengthers? Oh, that's a great idea. So um, (laughs) I read an article about uh, radiation on tumors, and I I went in and I said, you know, well, what about doing radiation? Oh, that's a great idea. So it it was interesting because Mm. I actually felt that I was leading the conversation. And one of the reasons that we don't, as advocates, as patient advocates and caregiver advocates, don't say more is because we believe this person went to medical school Mm -hmm. and they know more. And I'm not a, a doctor. So, you know. But the the truth is that doctors themselves are human, and I truly believe to this day that the reason that doctor did not refer us immediately to a institute that knew what they were doing was, A, because it was a research facility, but the biggest one was, I believe, that upper management was telling him, because they now have a great big new cancer center, that they don't want you referring your patients outside of that facility. They wanted to keep the money in-house, and that's the truth. I have no proof of that except for what happened. Right. Just what a absolutely just devastating uh, situation, and that I I definitely can relate completely because I hear the frustration in uh, other people and families who have Huntington's, which again, it's just mm-hmm. like that whole, if you, you don't know what you don't know, so you get told, well, you know, take creatine and that does nothing. And it's, you know, then the next week there's no information except, well, this the mouse model died this week. Sorry about that, folks. And we've got nothing else to give you. So unless you are really passionate about learning and applying what you learn, then, uh, and if people are not talking about it because you're just trusting the journey with your doctor solely, um, then you really, you know, left you're left at the whim of of a system and the system has its needs and finance is definitely one of those things. Um, So, so because the system fails without it. Um, That said though, um, what was the next kind of steps for you as you were trying to kind of redesign your, your life? Like how, how quickly was this turnaround for you after your husband passed away that you were able to kind of dig in and, uh, change directions, or maybe it wasn't change directions at all. Maybe it was just finding a path. Well, it's interesting, and it, it, a lot of the story is in Advocacy Heals You, which was my uh, Pulitzer Prize-nominated book, and it, it goes through the journey that Chris, my, my business partner, Chris Jerry, and I uh, both went through trying to find our footing. And, you know, quite frankly, Leah, when you get out of a situation like that, Mm-hmm. I didn't even want to be at a cancer center. You know, yes. I, I didn't even want to see a bald cancer patient because mm-hmm. it was too painful. And so, you know, I had in my particular situation, because uh, this was different, but in mine, I had to get past that to a certain extent. And uh, truthfully, I kept having this internal call to do something, and I kept saying, mm-hmm. who me? You know, and I had all these excuses. Had a great job that I loved, and I I was high up in my field in finance. And you know, what am I going to write a book, huh? You know, <laughs> so, 
So we all sit back when we get this internal call and we think, well, may, well, I'd have to go to school to do that. or you know. And, and so a lot of times it's just hard to get off that starting block. But I'll tell you the truth. This is truly what happened. It was a miracle. I took a walk on the beach, my hometown, uh, a beautiful sandy beach, and these chapters started coming in my head. And literally, they stayed in my head until I started writing them. And so you can only push back so far. And then the um, intervention that happens is going to stagger you. And truthfully, that's how my book started. And, And then eventually I said, well, I can't do this and do my work at the same time. And God had provided me with enough to kind of do both and and it's not an easy journey but it's not one that i would give anything in the world for no no and and incredibly what's the word cathartic therapeutic however you want to call it obviously an incredibly difficult period in your life and it would have been easy to say well that's it i'm done with that and i really don't want to deal with that anymore um but god bless you because you took the hard road and certainly writing about it, writing is thinking. I'm sure that as you were writing that, that was not easy. Um, but I think it, you know, it manifested itself in, in giving you this fantastic mission and purpose. Uh, that's amazing. Well, as I said, I, I wouldn't have changed. It's interesting because you're right. It, and I'll be honest with you. Here's another one. Um, the year after... I started doing this. My tax accountant asked me, who was a dear friend of mine who was a breast cancer survivor herself, she said, Joni, are you living under a bridge? That's truthfully (laughs) what she asked me. And so, you know, what we talk about, what Chris and I talk about a lot is, uh, you know, we try to tell advocates, you know, that, you know, go into it as you feel you need to. Maybe it's not full-time, maybe it's part-time, but you've got to feed your family, too. But Mm -hmm. the thing about it is, is, you know, where it develops, I kind of feel like sometimes, and Leah, I bet you feel like this, too, I'm being swept along in a tide. Yeah. And and I've never been one to sit back on my haunches and not do things. My mother taught me that. And incidentally, two years after Gordon died, she was diagnosed with late-stage lung cancer. Mm. So, um, also, you know, a difficult loss, but made me even more determined. And that's when I came out of it and started doing radio. Yeah. So So it's like swim with the stream as the stream Mm -hmm. is (laughs) sweeping you along. Swim with it, not against it. Uh, Yeah, as one of those. You know, you've you've talked a couple times about Chris, um, uh, your partner, uh, in the foundation, and and I'm just wondering if you could tell. We have a few minutes till break. Just wondering if you could tell kind of the a little bit of his story, maybe Joni, just to give listeners some frame of reference. Well, you can certainly learn more about Chris, and I am now the the C. Uh, the chairman of the board of uh, the Emily Jerry Foundation and, and very proud of that. Uh, you can learn more at emilyjerryfoundation.org. But uh, Chris's two-year-old little daughter, Emily, was diagnosed with cancer as well. And um, she went to a hospital in Ohio and had a miraculous recovery. Her chemo worked, everything worked right. And uh, unfortunately, on the very last day of her chemotherapy, when they were getting ready to send her home, um, 
a untrained pharmaceutical technician, some of this stuff makes you think you've got to be kidding, right? An mm-hmm. untrained mm-hmm. pharmaceutical yep. technician mixing chemotherapy that was going directly into mm-hmm. children's veins and did not know that she could not use a higher dose of saline solution. Uh, and unfortunately, little Emily went into an instant coma and uh, never came out of the coma. And uh, so Chris has dedicated his life to medication safety and patient safety, and certainly that's an area that you can tell rings well with with my story as well, even though mine was not that sudden catastrophic loss. uh, There was definitely culpability in there that should not have happened. So, unfortunately, Chris lost Emily and has dedicated his life uh, to the Emily Jerry Foundation. Okay. Um, Well, that's, what can you say about a story like that? Um, Just that we need more people like you, Joni. And on the other side of the break, we're going to get a bit more into some of the things that you do, some of the things that you found are really necessary in helping and advocating people with cancer and even people who don't have cancer but are dealing with other things too. On the other side of Master Your Life. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along with my host, Leah Mattinson. And today we have the privilege of talking with Joni Ulrich. Um, in the first segment, she was talking about her story of helping and advocating uh, when her husband uh, got cancer and eventually died of cancer and how she's devoted the rest of her life uh, to helping advocacy and helping under- people understand, especially people with cancer, understand how to navigate the system and just to be generally more aware. And, and I want to make that point, um, Joni, and, and have you talk to it. You know, on the first segment, you were talking about the things that your doctor didn't do or the things that you suggested and, you know, that were slow to pick up. Um, you're not really criticizing specifically you're not saying oh doctors are negligent although uh, as you know uh, there was that book saying doctors are the third leading cause of death um, we're not we're not saying that 
we're, we're saying right. that they're not perfect. We're saying that they're not perfect. Science isn't perfect. It's an imperfect science. Don't expect perfection. Something like that, correct? Absolutely. And Chris, it's important to note that Chris and I are, are never uh, to to doctor bashing. Do doctors make mistakes? Every single day, and actually one of my chapters in The Saving of Borden is it's D-O-C-T-O-R, not G-O-D. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and, and quite frankly, what we're doing in the United States at least, and by the way, you do both know that even though we spend more than any other country in the world on our health care, we're actually behind Colombia and Chile in effectiveness. Yes, actually, last time I saw. Okay, so 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 you have to realize, you know, a little bit about what's actually happening here. Um, For example, um, we tend to think that that doctor we're going to only has us as a patient, and their focus is only on us. But they're human too. You know, there are 50 other things going on. They have they have to see 100 patients a day. They have 5 to 10 to 15 minutes with every single patient, even if the patient is critically ill. Um, nurse-to-patient ratios are outrageous in hospitals. Um, you know, and, and what is the cause of all this? You know, why are medications so expensive? And, you know, there, there's a whole thing behind that, but what Chris and I try to do, and what I've always tried to do, is relate in as simple a manner as possible, because it really isn't rocket science, the things that would help you as a patient and caregiver be part of the patient safety solution. We tend to segregate ourselves and say, again, I don't have the medical degree. I don't have this person's knowledge, but we are intelligent human beings, and we can take the extra time to work with the patient if we're the caregiver or as the patient become involved, just like Mm -hmm. your rare disease, Leah. Mm -hmm. Get involved. You know, find out the signs and the symptoms, and there's stuff in there absolutely that you don't like to read. Um, be a part of the solution. Um, change your eating habits. You know, uh, exercise if you can. If it's within the doctor's uh, orders to do that, stay away from processed foods and, and some of the other uh, issues with our food. Eat organic when it's on the dirty dozen list, for example. Um, so, be involved in your care and be involved with the doctor. Have a list of questions before you go in to see the doctor, make note of the things that have changed since the last visit because at the end of the day, the person, the people that are with that patient 24 hours a day, no matter what specialist they go to, and with cancer you have a ton of different doctors, is the one common thread is the patient. Yeah, And, and the exciting, cases, I the think, character. really, the, yeah, the really neat thing um, that I thought... <clears throat> in the last 10 years is that it's so easy to access information now. You know, patient, your your own advocacy, your own learning uh, has just been... Uh 
just eased so much by technology. And I know not all information is good information. Uh, however, <laughs> we can't. We don't have to go to you know the medical library and look up rare diseases to find out information about how we can improve our lifestyle. And and so from our easy chairs or or wherever we are in our life, we really can access information that gives us good solid kind of footing around you know how do we take care of ourselves, and and so if we care a lot about ourselves and and our kids and our families, then I'm really an advocate of that. How do I how do I not become ill at all? <laughs> because that's the you know no one else is going to be responsible for that. Um, not becoming ill except me so that just like you're saying having good food or good nutrition you know making sure that you take care of your wellness uh, in terms of your physical wellness your spiritual wellness like who do you who are you putting all of your your trust in and then having good people around you to give you feedback about well maybe you're not doing so hot in this particular area and you could maybe do a little bit better and, and so those having ad, advocate for yourself but also having people in your life that um, will coach you out of bad behavior is another good thing. <laughs> so, so what are the Absolutely. dirty dozen? Or is, what's the dirty dozen list? I'm curious. <laughs> the dirty dozen list. You can look it up. It, and I've shared with you earlier, uh, Lee and Howard, that I am actually a farmer now. Crumbling <laughs> 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 food with my boyfriend. It's crazy, right? But um, the reason that I did that is I had so many people on my shows, on my cancer shows and and treatment shows, that said, you know, it's in our food. You know, and I truly believe Mm -hmm. we're poisoning Mm -hmm. ourselves and our children with this Roundup farming and the GMOs and what have you. Um, You can go online and look up the Dirty Dozen list of fruits and vegetables. And those are dirty dozen. They test it every single year. This organization tests the vegetable. See, it's not on the outside of the vegetable or the outside of the fruit. Mm. It's actually growing through the pesticides and the things in the soil. It's in the vegetable or the fruit. So you can't wash it off. So they test all fruits and vegetables, and they print this list of uh, the dirty dozen list of fruits and vegetables that you always need to eat that are organic, but they also give you the clean 15, and the clean 15 are fruits and vegetables that you don't have to buy organic, so it's really helpful, especially when last year one of the items that was on there was potatoes. It's hard to find Mm. organic potatoes. There's many, many, many aspects to this. I mean, one is helping people navigate the medical system, getting them educated in terms of the disease and different treatments and the current scientific thinking. But as you say, the other things are encouraging people, first of all, educating them on the lifestyle factors they can do right now and then supporting them and encouraging them to do that. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So important. Um, And let me go back to, because I want to relay to you um, an extreme case, just to kind of show you uh, getting back a little bit to the diagnosis and treatment and why it's important to do the things that, you know, we we talk about every single day on my shows, including health care or health style changes and being involved in your health care. A couple of years ago, you may have heard about it, there was a doctor, an oncologist up in Michigan that diagnosed greater than 500 patients with cancer that did not have cancer. 
Uh, now, thank God he's in jail. Okay. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the three things that had yes. any one of those 500, because this doctor had them brainwashed and convinced that this oncologist, that he was their only yeah. source uh, of living. Okay. He was going to make their them live. The three things that if any one of those 500 people had done, that they could have broken this cycle was, number one, get educated about their illness. Number two, get a good, qualified second opinion. And number three, study about, you know, the treatments and what have you. And, and of course, no, the, you know, they, didn't, they couldn't have had the symptoms, but many of these patients died because he was giving them way too much um, way too much medicine so of course the family could have have done something as well but finally one of his cohorts turned him in it's very sad. well it's a horrendous story isn't it i mean it's just just horrendous um, that it's premeditated uh, and of course sometimes it's not premeditated some people are giving bad advice thinking they're being helpful Um, again I think it's important for people to understand that medical knowledge and science is not perfect it evolves Mm -hmm. and and even the facts that we think we know are not a hundred percent true all the time and so this, I have a case of that, a neighbor of mine, um, there was something on her pancreas, she went to the doctor, they ran some tests, and she said, he said, I'm 99% sure this is nothing. And God bless her, she said, that's not good enough for me. Is there a test that I haven't taken that I can take? And he said, well, I can send you up to MUSC, and you're familiar with that. That's the big uh, medical university building here Mm -hmm. in in Charleston, South Carolina. She went up there, and when she came out of the test, the physician said to her, you are one lucky woman. What that is is the very beginning of a pancreatic tumor. Mm -hmm. And that was five years ago, you know? And... You know, I'm sure that doctor was being very honest and very sincere when he said, I'm 99% sure this is nothing. But science isn't perfect, and you can be wrong. So, um, you know, these stories are horrendous, but hopefully they are educating people and inspiring them and encouraging them to find out what they need to find out. Yeah, so, Joni, Joni, what from your experience do you think is the biggest reason for people not getting educated? Well, again, it, uh, what I've seen in the past, specifically with cancer, is they're afraid of the horror stories. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask, even though mm-hmm. I know that people have been through this before. I'm not going to ask because I don't want to know. Cancer is a frightening illness as are many illnesses, Alzheimer's dementia that comes to mind, of course. More people fear that, believe it or not, than, than a cancer diagnosis. And don't get me wrong, there are 14 to 16 million cancer survivors living in this country. So that's excellent mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. It's excellent news. But the thing about it is, is we tend to think that there is one set treatment for each type of cancer, and that's just not true. And what you're going to talk to this facility about and that facility about can be totally different based on the, the most current research and how, what, how much, you know, there are over 120 different types of cancer. You can't expect that any medical facility you go to is going to be great in all of those 120 different types of cancer. <laughs> 
I, I think really we're uh, a lot of times again we're bending to people that we know are, are in this world and we're strangers to it. But that's why education is is just so important to do. And if you can't research it, uh, you know, a lot of older people are not so great on the computer, then get your niece or your nephew or grandchild to come and spend some time with you and um, educate yourself. Take somebody with you. That's important. Uh, Again, I think we think these things are complicated, but they're really easy. Yeah, and that whole... um you know, have your have your people surround you is also uh, not just good in terms of helping you to navigate through grabbing the education, but also just loving you through the journey of the illness and giving them something to do. I know that that my uh, my kids will often say about my dad. Well, because um, Korea is the movement disorder that is in Huntington's disease. And just like you said, it's like people are afraid of the horror stories. And my mm-hmm. dad's movement disorder is not bad compared to a lot of, of people who have HD. Uh, however, my daughter, who's 18, and they just love their grandpa. Just they love him, they love him, they love him. And they spent tons of time with him. And, you know, she goes um, at Christmas time, she said, you know, I, I can't quite understand what Grandpa's saying all the time, especially when he's tired. And I don't, I'm not quite sure, like I feel awkward about what to do. And I just said to her, you know, why don't you just go and grab his hand and say, I love you, Grandpa. And then just sit there and wait and see if he can slow down a little bit or focus. And then he'll be able to communicate with you. Um, But just the basic sort of connecting with people is another piece I find that um, lots of people that have, have grown up in the cell phone, iPad era are really struggling with how do you connect on a person to person level um, because we've just lost kind of the basic social norms of how we um, love and care for our elderly or, or our sick and and kind of natural compassion because compassion is even being taught in nursing schools now. So there's all these interesting little, um, I think, societal things that also influence uh, how we do or don't advocate for ourselves. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's a. Sorry, go on, Jenny. Well, what I was going to say to that is, too, you know, uh, there's all this thing about bedside manner, and you want a doctor that you relate to. And I hear people all the time saying, I love my doctor. You know, I'm not so much in bedside manner as I am. I want him to be able to keep me out of bed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I want him to know knowledge is pretty important. Very important. And so when we uh, come back after the break, we're going to be picking it up with Joni about just how we can, in our day-to-day lives, take all of this knowledge and wisdom that she has gained over the years in advocacy. And, of course, we're just getting a tip of the iceberg. Um, but all of the all of this wisdom, how do we find out more, find out more about what you're doing, Joni, and how do we apply some of these things, just maybe some quick tips and tricks in our day-to-day lives. So when we come back after the break, we'll talk more with Joni. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. We're here with our guest, Joni Aldridge. And Joni is a cancer advocate, a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and uh, has really given her life uh, fully into caring for and advocating for other people. And Joni, before the break, we were talking some in about pragmatics of how do you apply all this stuff. But before we get into really um, that into detail, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about uh, what it is that you are writing currently right now for Health Triangle magazine on UK Health Radio. Well, excellent. Uh, this this month's uh, segment, and the segment is called The Patient Advocate, and, and, and you can go to UK Health Radio. And by the way, my radio shows are on there as well. And uh, so, you know, you can certainly listen to some of my shows as well. I'm on there five days a week and on demand. Um, and, but the articles are on, if you go to UK Health Radio and hit on the right side where it says Health Triangle Magazine and pull the magazine up, they pretty much religiously put us on page 24 now. The articles are called The Patient Advocate. Uh, last month we talked about misdiagnosis and things that you can, you need to know, for example, about misdiagnosis. And we talked earlier, uh, rare diseases are, are actually misdiagnosed on average of 7.3 times. I actually had one cancer patient who didn't fit the symptom dialogue that I interviewed on Cancer SOS that was di- misdiagnosed 21 times. Oh, okay. my goodness. Wow. 21 times. Uh, her oh, cancer was usually only in children. Okay. So, um, oh you know, <laughs> look at that article, and we talk about uh, where the, the highest risk for misdiagnosis occurs and how to follow through and uh, try to prevent it. So, uh, this next month's article, of course, is going to be near and dear to you, Leah, and we need to talk more about that, is uh, yeah. focused on misdiagnosis, uh, particularly for rare disease and patient safety, um, because obviously that's a very at-risk population. So yeah. we're going to be doing this uh, every month now, talking about critical patient safety, because again, the doctors and the nurses uh, can do everything right, but we can still lose the patient if they get, for example, a healthcare acquired infection, or, or you know, if they're misdiagnosed, you can't fix it if you don't know it's there. Um, so thank you for allowing me to mention that. And I do have a new magazine article that's coming out on the business side 
uh, starting, I believe, next month uh, on healthcare business today. And that's going to actually be on the other side of the coin. So I'm excited about that. Now, if people want to, while we're on your writing, um, if people want to find out about your books or or what you're doing currently, where's the best place for them to find you? Well, um, you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Nibbles or any of the online bookstores and just put in Joni, that's J-O-N-I, Aldrich, A-L-D-R-I-C-H, and that is uh, my website as well for people to go and look there. Um, My radio shows are on iHeart.com and also on UKHealthRadio.com on demand, Um, So, and certainly W4CS.com. So nothing much going on. <laughs> nothing much going on. And I love it's like so you have this uh, this number one problem for most people is the getting educated about your illness. And so you have both these wonderful forums of, um, you know, written word and people can also just listen. So if there's challenges around finding time to read things, there's opportunities to listen to things that will educate you Um more so you can advocate for yourself and understand what maybe what might be going on for you. And Joni, your shows really cover a wide variety of topics, both from you know the the person with cancer to the person who is the caregiver um, for somebody with cancer, and and lots of other considerations. So I really encourage people who are listening uh, to check out all of Joni's good work, and and um, just picking up on talking about the rare disease misdiagnosis. I was referring to this meeting as that last night and uh, in Huntington's it's a generational disease so uh, somebody's great grandmother had passed away and there was never any record of why she had passed away and then her son uh, passed away in a car accident and the surviving daughter um, had Huntington's but was was misdiagnosed as having Parkinson's and so they actually gave her um, medications that made the Huntington's worse, mm-hmm. and so there is so there's lots of lots of you know nuances to that story. But again, just going back to the you know um, why it's the, the horror story sharing of horror stories in families is sometimes important so you can educate each other and and protect each other. Um, uh, as scary as some of the things are to talk about, but it's very much also a problem in the Huntington's community is is uh, just talking about. Uh, the disease and all of its features so that we can better deal with it. And, and, you know, it's interesting because there are so few or one of the things that's coming up in the article uh, this next month about rare diseases is there's not as many support groups, obviously. As a matter of fact, they mentioned in this mm. article that I was reading, preparing for my article, that there was actually one case where there was only one person with that illness. And, you know, so it has some very special um, nuances to it. But, um, you know, certainly we all need to be aware of what's going on in our body at all times and make sure that we follow through with our checkups. And we, we all wish we had a crystal ball. Uh, or one thing that I always say is I wish, you know, you, something happens to your car, you go into a mechanic, he plugs it into a machine. Well, thankfully, very soon, you're going to see more and more screening tools with your yearly je- uh, wellness check. Uh, as a matter of fact, several companies are working on uh, blood, blood tests that will detect any type of cancer. 
So thankfully, in the future, hopefully we can catch these diseases earlier. Uh, while there is still time to, to do things to really help them, because that's critical in the world of cancer. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, you were in, uh, it was interested you were t- talking about support groups, and I'm, I'm mindful of David uh, Spiegel's work at Stanford on longevity and survival in breast cancer survivors who were going to support groups. How important are support groups? I mean, obviously, support's important, something that I'm familiar with, the work that I've done with support groups, but, but how important is that, and how widespreadly, how widespread available is that for Cancel well, you are talking to an advocate here, so <laughs> I would love to say, uh, for example, uh, one of my favorite charities for cancer that I'll give a shout out for right now is an organization called Emmerman, I-M-E-R-M-A-N, Angels. And Emmerman Angels, uh, in, under the guise of, of Johnny Emmerman, who founded the organization, offers free mentoring services to the patient and the caregiver from the moment of diagnosis for as long as they want it. And they match you specifically with your type of cancer and your age of life and, and all of the things that are important. So you can have that one-on-one connection to a person that will listen to you and you won't be able to say you don't understand. Right. Well, what a completely invaluable resource. Uh, that absolutely. is just yeah. Wow. He's, that is incredible. That's uh, incredible. Yeah, he, he's a oh. wonderful human being and these mm-hmm. people are called angels and mm-hmm. literally they volunteer their time after going through. So there's simple things that you can do, but you know, truthfully, uh, some people don't want support. Truthfully, some people just don't want to um, hear these other stories. And that's when, um, you know, and don't do it. You know, if you don't Mm -hmm. feel like you're going to either that or go one time, and if if it's not for you, then certainly go a different way and don't do it again. But in a lot of cases, people do want to hear because most of the time in your family, you're not going to have an opportunity to find somebody else. Uh, unless it is a genetic disease that will understand the path that you're walking on. And and it is so important. It truly is. Yes, and I think the the importance cannot be uh, sort of um, under-magnified of having good mentors to help you across the desert because it's a desert that you haven't gone across before. And I laugh. It's like parenting. You know, you go, oh, I've got these kids. Now that should be easy. Well, it's much easier when you actually have a mentor and that we accept mentorship, um, you know, in other areas of our life much more easily than when we're navigating through uh, illness or difficulties. And and maybe that's part of just kind of our independence in North America. I I see other cultures doing things a bit differently um, in terms of actually really honoring other people journeys and being more interdependent and you know kind of our North American culture again has really applauded people who are you know independent and strong and can figure out their own path and uh, that and that sort of thing and in the disease navigation just like when we'd started the interview if you had known what you know now if you'd had some you know help along the path somebody who'd been through the path your story might have had a different ending and and i think incredibly people go through such financial hardship and 
um, psychological hardship and their kids struggle when there's illness in the family. So I just encourage people, I guess, that any any time that there's somebody there that can help you to navigate that more successfully um, and remove the friction in your life, uh, that that's a, a good idea. <laughs> Critical. It truly is because they are the ones that have walked that path before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important to network before you get the illness. You know, and stay informed and, mm-hmm. and pay attention to what's going on, truthfully. Yeah, and it's also about um, helping the caregivers, too, very much about helping the caregivers. Um, I had a friend in, in high school back in England who was a very creative guy. His dad worked for uh, Disney in the UK. And I lost touch with him, and it emerged a few years later that he was a writer, and he'd written a lot of stuff for the BBC and screenplays. And he wrote a delightful two-hour show about a guy who gets cancer. And um, there's this fantastic line in there where his daughter says to him, it's not just your cancer, Dad. Mm. Um, and, you know, the whole family is affected and, and they need help, right, in, in how to navigate, how to respond to this. Uh, it's just not the, the patient who has it. Absolutely. And you'd be surprised how many people that I talk to uh, that when they're diagnosed, they think, oh, well, I'm going to hide this. I, I just interviewed <laughs> one not long ago, as a matter of fact, who, who said uh, who had just gotten a job the same day that she was diagnosed. Oh. And, you know, so she started on her journey thinking, well, I'm, nobody will ever notice. I can keep going. Uh, this is just a little blip in the road and nobody has to know. Um, Cancer is not that illness, and rare diseases are not that illness. Uh, you need people around you that can help you, although what I try to also teach, particularly to caregivers, since you brought up the subject, Howard, is um, there's a time to speak up and there's a time to shut up. Mm. And uh, I very much found that out the day that my mother's oncologist talked with her about hospice care. And uh, it was everything that I could do. We just talked about it, and she was like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And when he brought it up, I had to bite my tongue because I I had to listen. And I very much believe that uh, what we do is walk a fine line between helping the patient and honoring their personal choice because, at the end, this is their road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that and and it also their road affects everybody. So having the more supports in place and the and more education and wisdom in place helps us to hold our tongue, right. <laughs> to hold our tongue a little bit longer and to listen and to listen with compassion. Um, yeah, it's just it's quite an amazing journey and a real blessing, I think, to actually have people in our lives that go through um, hardships and uh, to walk through life really heart heart to heart with people who have had loss whether that's you know a complete loss of life or that they're losing their ability to just um function normally in society i for myself i have become a much um deeper and more humble and uh, richer person as a result of having this in my family 
um, and a lot more tenacious. <laughs> so, so that would be the hope of for people who I think are are experiencing any kind of well cancers or rare illnesses is that they are able to grasp on to kind of the things we were talking about again at the beginning of this show. And you know, how do you turn your lead into gold? So, do you have any other um, little tips or tricks for people, Joni? Just as we're kind of closing out the show, or final thoughts that you think might help people today. Well, you know, I, first of all, I want to thank both of you again for, for having me on your show. And your show, obviously, just like many of my shows, is, is very important for people to be involved and empowered and alert. Um, you know, at the bottom of the day, at the end of every day, um, this is your life. You know, it, it truly is. And uh, one of the things that I would say, however, um, when we're talking about caregiving, and one of the reasons I wrote one of my books, uh, Connecting Through Compassion, Guidance for Family and Friends of a Brain Cancer Patient, um, one of the things as caregivers and as family members we always need to be aware of is if the patient starts to act unusually. Um, you know, what is going on? Um, my husband was diagnosed with metastatic brain cancer, which was essentially what took his life and, and, um, attacked his brain very quickly. And trust me, I sat across from the oncologist while he was sitting there saying, Oh, there's nothing wrong with me. She's crazy. And when he got up <laughs> to go to the bathroom, I was like bawling, you know, no. Mm. And yep. come to find yep. out. Uh, you know, when the brain is involved, the brain always says, um, there's nothing wrong with me. It's a survival mm-hmm. mode. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what we all need to know is that we need to pay attention not only to our health, but the health of others around us. And uh, I don't want people to have doctor phobia because of the conversation we've had today. I just want them to be aware that medicine is a business like any other business, and it's a high-stress business right now, a very difficult business. Many oncologists are going out of business because they can't pay their bills because Medicaid doesn't pay and insurance companies don't pay. Um, so just be aware that you have choices in your in your health and try to make the, the ones that uh, will give you the best chance at your life. Well, Joni, I just like to say really three words, which is God bless you. I know you help and will continue to help thousands of people, if not more. And uh, we're just thrilled to have you on our show. Well, again, thank you both as well for the work that you do. And also, I, I hope that we have opportunities to help many others because that's part of it, too. This advocacy world we live in. Yeah, it's we're very very blessed and it's it's exciting work that we get to do. <laughs> so until next time, uh, we just hope that uh, you are uh, taking really good care of yourself and advocating for your own wellness. Uh, until next time, uh, join us for more insight, intelligence, and inspiration on Master Your Life. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.